can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That's going to be my key portion of scripture, though we're going to be all over the book, or at least a few important places in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want to talk about spiritual fatherhood. And what I mean by that is the fatherhood of God coming into the world through believing men. That's what I mean. Sometimes when we say the word spiritual, what we mean is airy-fairy, light and fluffy kind of twinkiness. That doesn't matter. That's what we mean. You know, it was a spiritual experience, which meant you were going to forget it in two days. Um, I mean the fatherhood of God being incarnated through servants of God in godly men, and especially in the church. And I want to talk, to talk about this as a bit of a, just a thankfulness to God for what he's done through Dave and Lynn, who have been a godly couple in Calvary Chapel, and especially the fatherhood that Dave has brought to me and to many people in this church. Um, the reason we have a Calvary Chapel here that's a healthy working church is because of the fatherhood of God that has come through Dave. Um, so... I want to talk about 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to read a passage where Paul will describe himself as the father of this church, or the spiritual father of this church, and they really need some fathering. When I was younger, a late teenager, 18, 19-ish, my older brother had moved out of my parents' house and moved to Vancouver. We were living in BC. My twin brother had moved out of the house and moved to Vancouver, and I would come home on the weekends because I was just living about half an hour away. And so I'd come home on the weekends, and every once in a while, my parents would leave for the weekend on some business trip or something like this. And can you guess what I did on those weekends when mom and dad were gone? The first service was much more onto this. I guess the party animals come to the 9 o'clock service, or at least the ones that were party animals in their teenage years. That's right. That's what you do, right? When mom and dad are gone, you, uh, you stay up late, you watch movies, you have your friends over, you eat and drink things that if you tried to live off of would kill you, and you just generally try to have a good time. Now, in the mercies of God, almost all of my friends at that stage of my life were Christians. I don't think I was a Christian yet, but all, almost all of my friends were Christians, so the parties never really got out of hand, though we definitely stayed up way too late for anyone's good use. And this is kind of just a part of life, right? You hear about these stories every once in a while where the, where the police have to come in and arrest a dozen people and kick 200 young folks out of somebody's house because somebody had a party when mom and dad were gone. Yeah, I see some smiling faces where you're probably remembering your yesteryears. And this is what happened in the Corinthian church. Paul, the apostle, came to this city, Corinth, which is on the northern side of the Mediterranean Sea, or was on the northern side of the Mediterranean Sea. I'm not totally sure if they have a city there nowadays, but it would kind of be in the Greek area, or the area of Greece. And... Um, he planted this church and led it and was there for quite a long time, but then he left to go and plant churches elsewhere. And after some time, he got a letter from this church where they wanted to talk about some issues in the church and get his input and his counsel. Now, in the meantime, I think it was a lady named Chloe had brought him this letter, and she is not only delivering the letter, but she's also reporting on what is actually going on in the church after Paul left. And the church really did turn into a big frat house party while Paul was gone. And so about the first half of the Corinthian letter that we have, 1 Corinthians, is Paul 
addressing the issues in the church that the church didn't want to talk to him about. That's why they didn't write about it. They just... The cat's away. The mice are playing. They want some input on some things that they think is important, but some other things they'd rather not have Paul talk about. And so they don't talk about it. But um, there was an older sister named Chloe who snitched. It was kind of like she was at the frat party and she, she had just had her phone out the whole time. She didn't say nothing. She didn't complain. She just has her phone out, just walking around, you know, just videotaping. And then after a little while, she sends a text message to dad and mom. And, uh, and they show up. And they're not happy. And this is the situation in Corinth. This is about a spiritual father who is being invited into the frat house shenanigans of a church that is rejecting spiritual fatherhood. And so this is what Paul writes at the end of chapter 4. He says this. He's just confronted them on the first issue before he leans into the next dozen. And he says this. I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Father, I just thank you so much for this uh, letter, which is the word of God. This scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God might be equipped for every good deed. God, I believe this. And I believe that even though this letter is fully Paul, he's writing this out of his own heart by the Spirit of God and the grace of God in him. He is writing exactly what you wanted to say to this church and through this church to your church through all ages until Christ should return. So, Father, I'm so grateful for the trustworthy Word of God. And I pray, Father, that through just exploring this Word, we can be grateful to you for spiritual fatherhood, incarnated fatherhood, and that we as your church can love you, obey you, yield you, yield to you, and enjoy you in ways that we haven't maybe ever conceived of before. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So Paul has come to this church, which is his church, and he is coming to them through a letter. And he wants to come to them as a father and not as just a guide or a counselor, some tr translations say. And I just want to start there by going, that's interesting that he would say that. He'd say, you guys have lots of guides, but you don't have a lot of fathers. Namely, right now, you have none. I can tell by how you're behaving. You have a lot of guides and not a lot of fathers. So I want to start off there and say, okay, so what's the difference between a guide and a father according to this passage of scripture, excuse me. And two things really stand out to me. The first is that 
Paul, as a father, wants to talk about how this church is really doing. He wants to get down to the real issues and not just talk about what they think is important. And he considers himself to carry an authority from God for good or sometimes for unpleasantness. When you have a, just someone who's a counselor, and I'm not talking about the profession itself, which is a great and noble profession, which I have been very blessed by, but just this relationship of having someone to give you counsel or advice. Um, they come to you, and they're kind of on your terms a little bit, right? So you phone up your, your gal pal, and you're just like, hey, I got some parenting issues, and I want to talk about this, that, and the other thing, and how to get your kids to bed on time, and they talk about maybe their experience and give you some advice. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? No, I haven't. Thanks so much. And then you hang up and you, you've talked about an issue and you've got some guidance and you've got some counsel on an issue, but you haven't necessarily talked about what's really going on in your life. And when you're just getting a guide or a counselor, you aren't necessarily dealing with what's really going on in your life. But spiritual fatherhood wants to start with what's really going on before we talk about some other stuff. Amen? Everyone's getting nervous right now. I know exactly how you feel. (laughs) There was this one time, uh, it was one of the earlier times we'd sent Dave and Lynn to Africa, and they'd been gone for maybe two months, three months. It's one of the earlier times, and so this was part of my earlier time being a pastor at Calvary, and it had been a really hard, stressful couple of months. And I was like strung out. I was just tired and stressed like crazy, though I didn't totally recognize it, that that was happening in my life. And, um, and Dave and Lynn had landed at the airport the night before, and I had just assumed that Dave would do what normal people do after they've been traveling by air for 24 hours, and that he would sleep in, at least, or take the day off. That's what I would assume, because some, sometimes when I come back from a long trip, I am just not even a human being for about a week. And lo and behold, Tuesday morning, Dave shows up at church early, and he's peppy in that way that can kind of get under your skin because it's like no human being deserves to be that happy. And uh, he's all peppy and talking to a guest, and then he's like, hey, Rob, let's sit down and talk. And so we're sitting in the nursery back there, and I'm, I'm getting furious at Dave because, um, and I... I And what we argued about, Dave doesn't remember this, only I remember this. What we argued about was like, I was offended that he wasn't sleeping in. (laughs) Makes sense, right? I was like, you should be at home resting. You like landed six hours ago. What are you doing here? But the real issue was that I was not doing well and I didn't want to talk about it. And Dave is a spiritual father. So all he really wants to talk about is how I'm really doing. And I didn't want to talk about how I was really doing. And so I, I had my guards up. I was firing out the, the suppressing fire. I was trying to had the flat cannons going. And so that's Dave. He's a spiritual father, and what he really cares about is how you're really doing. And that can freak you out, because most of us are used to not having anybody know what's really going on in our life, and that's how we want it. We don't want a dad. We want a counselor or a guide, and we'll stay in control, and thank you very much, and goodbye. And the other thing is having authority. Um, this chapter ends somewhat threateningly, where Paul says, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? It's your choice. But what he's saying here is that he's saying, Look, I'm going to talk to you about a bunch of things, and you are going to be able to hear my advice, hear my counsel, hear my truth, and then you can make your own choices. 
and that's a guide, that's a counselor. But then he also says, just so you know, I can make choices too. And we will find out whose choices God is standing behind. We will find out whose choices God is anointing with power. Anybody feel comfortable right now? I wouldn't. If I were receiving this letter, I'd be like, oh man, my church is toast. He's saying, I'm the father here, and so when I come, we'll talk, we'll discuss, and you can make your own choices, but I can also make choices. So how do you want this to go? That is the difference between just a guide or having spiritual fatherhood in action. It's this insistence, especially by the men of a church who are really good at hiding things often, on really dealing with what's actually going on and the commitment by the grace and authority of God to deal with it in a way that will honor God and set people free. That's the difference, and that's exactly what the Corinthians did not want. Amen? You with me so far? This is the thing that's been stunning me as I'm reading through this book. These issues that Paul is dealing with for the first half are all things that only started happening after he left. He doesn't, he's not saying, look, it's like I told you when I was there. You've got to stop doing this stuff. He's saying, oh, you decided to start doing this after I left. Oh, that's very interesting. Cut it out. And so this is all stuff where these Christians are like, hey, we're going to just start doing whatever we want because dad's gone. That's ex- this is exactly what happened. Dad's gone. Now we can do what we want. It's frat party time. And the thing that stuns me, as, and I invite you to read your way all the way through 1 Corinthians, is that every single issue that this church was going crazy about and needing correction, correction on is exactly what we deal with in North America as a culture and exactly what our churches deal with as churches in North America. Every single issue that this church was imploding about because they were rejecting spiritual fatherhood, they are our issues today. This letter, 1 Corinthians, it could have just been written to North America. If Paul had a time machine, if Paul had a looking glass, he could have just written this letter, put it in a little time capsule, do not open until 1980, and then crack it open, and it would have been like, we would have been like, this is a stunning example of prophecy, because this is exactly our issues, one after another. And what I'm saying is that the root cause in Corinth was that they kicked out spiritual fatherhood, and the root cause in North America is that we despise fatherhood in almost every form. So what was the first thing that went wonky? that Paul talks about. I'm just going to address a few things that went wonky in Corinth because they rejected Paul's spiritual fatherhood so they could do their own thing. And the first thing that comes up that went weird was their relationship to leadership in the church, their concept of leadership and their relationship with leadership. Okay, Because fatherhood is connected with authority and leadership. And so when they said, goodbye, fatherhood, what did they have as a substitute in its place? they got celebrity culture, which led to divisions in the church. Instead of having real fatherhood expressing itself through healthy leadership, they got celebrities. Verse 10 of the first chapter. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you, sh- that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. So this is how we know this is one of those issues that they didn't want to talk about, but that Paul's going to talk about because older sister snitched. Hopefully so. There are times to snitch. Can I just say one thing, just in passing? If someone ever says to you, can you promise you won't tell me about this? Never, 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 never promise that. Never, never. 
you're a servant of Jesus. You don't have the right to promise anybody that you won't talk about something when you don't know what it is. Amen? Because they might tell you something that you have the responsibility to talk about as a servant of Christ, or even just as a citizen of Canada. For it has been reported to me by Chloe, so Chloe did the right thing, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. That's the like um, seminary student, the right one. I follow Christ, when you guys are all getting it wrong. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And he goes on from there just to say how ridiculous it is for the Christians in Corinth to be dividing themselves over who is their celebrity leader. Amen? And the thing that really gets under Paul's skin is it's like none of these celebrity leaders, whether it's Paul or Peter or Paulus or Jesus, would say, hey, why don't you guys divide the church over me? That would be such a blessing. I've got a lot of good things going on in my life. I've got a preaching ministry, plan a few churches, but what I really would want is a church divided over whether I'm or not I'm the coolest person in town. That would really bless me. You can give it to me for, for my birthday or Christmas is December 25th. None of them want this, but the church is doing this because they have rejected the idea of fatherhood. They just want celebrities. They want famous names for them to, to rally behind as a fan. Let me ask you a question. Do you think in North America we have an issue with celebrities? Thank you. Thank you. Do you think that we love celebrities? Celebrity actors, celebrity entertainers, celebrity sports people, celebrity politicians. This is what we want. We want people who impress us from afar that we can become fans of. When you have celebrity leadership... And we do this in the church too, right? So who's a, who's a Matt Chandler person? Who's a Piper person? Who's a, um, a, a Beth Moore person? You know, we can just keep going through all these names. I could, you know, who's an Osteen person? Anybody would admit it out loud? You might be, I don't know, it's fine. We get our celebrity leaders, right, that we kind of go to. So that you can even come to church on Sunday at Calvary Chapel because you like the worship and the message is okay, but the person who's really leading you lives in Texas. When you have celebrities for leaders instead of fathers, you, you, what you're after is influence without relationship. What you're after is revelation without submission. What you're after is input without anybody saying what's going on, really going on in your life. I want you to make me feel like I'm receiving some awesome insight. Please don't ask me what I do on my computer or what I just fought with my husband about or how my children are doing. We want to be impacted without having to deal with what's really happening behind closed doors. Amen? That's not good. It's a sign that we don't understand spiritual fatherhood, sign that there's an absence of spiritual fatherhood in the church in North America. What we should be wanting is godly men and women who we can come to and talk about real life and having real relationship with them. People who will... This is the thing, right? Like, I can love... I, I love John Piper. He's a great guy. I shook his hand once. Did you know that? It was like this hand. I haven't washed it in five years. But I did help with lunch, so um, that might be weird. Just kidding, just kidding. I do wash it, but I did. I just, I was 
He was there, I was there, I just said, thanks, you've really blessed me, and off I went. Um, He has no idea who I am. And so I just kind of need to acknowledge it. We might be best friends in the new heavens and the new earth, because there's going to be lots of times to build relationship in eternity. But I, but I do have a spiritual dad who has never had that many hits on his sermons when they go on the website, as John Piper does, or has gotten, even on a bad day. He's got more hits than you or me on his sermons. But... Um, he has no clue who I am. Doesn't love me. Maybe would, but doesn't. Because he's not the infinite God of the universe, just can't know everybody. There is a spiritual father in this church who has loved me on my worst day. And on my second worst day, and my third worst day. Every worst day he's loved me on, because he's been there for most of them. And We had this... Uh, We had this meeting last year before I took my time off, and during the meeting, I just melted down and left. And I had quit in my heart being a pastor. Um, I just went home, went for a little jog. I was actually feeling great, like all the stress of being a church leader was gone, because I had quit. I hadn't told anybody yet, but... um, Just really not doing well. And then Dave and Ron, who were at this meeting, showed up at my house. And neither of them are famous, but they're, they're fathers to me, which meant that they didn't need my permission to come to my house, didn't ask for my permission to come into my house, and didn't wait for me to start asking before they started saying probably what needed to happen here. And they were gentle. I told them I was done. Ron said, okay, I, I, I believe you, that you feel like you're done, but maybe we should try some other things first. And because they're my dad, they just submitted. I was like, okay, I don't want to do anything that you told me to do, but I will do it because you're Dave. And today would not have happened. I'd probably be at Southland because I really like that church. And mo- every leader I meet there, I'm like, I really like you guys. See, a spiritual dad just wants to talk about the truth. So there you go. So we're not called to have relationships with celebrities. We're called to be a church family and to, to have spiritual fathers in a local church who know us. Amen? The other thing that goes weird next is when there's no spiritual fatherhood, um, men get weird and women get weird. Men get weird about being men. Women get weird about being women. It, it happens really quick. And in Corinth, um, it expressed itself by men getting really weird about their sexual purity and women getting really weird about how they were going to dress. Um, I'll just read part of chapter 5 for the case in point. Number one, Paul says, It is actually reported, see, they didn't bring it up. He heard a report that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. So he's saying if, if, if unbelievers were doing this, they would have gotten themselves stoned. But you guys are celebrating it. 
For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So he's just, okay, uh, this person's excommunicated as of the reading of this letter, because this is so bad. And the thing that, that, that makes me just shudder is that this letter would have been read at a church meeting just like this, like all the church people together, including the dude and his mom, who everybody knows are hibbity-dibbiting, and everybody's like, oh, aren't we progressive? Aren't we liberal? We support what you're doing. Can we make a flag to support this? <laughs> and Paul reads this out. Would that have been an awkward moment? They, they just finished their parade to support hibbity-dibbity-ding your stepmom. They just finished the parade, and Paul's like, by the way, this guy's excommunicated. Awkward. Fatherhood. He just, this is just so wrong, we're not even going to discuss it. You guys are crazy. This is over, and I'll pick up the pieces when I get there. And on top of that, there was also a little camp who weren't quite as liberated enough to have relationships with their stepmom. But they thought that relationship with the prostitutes in town wasn't such a big deal. And so they came up with this theology that kind of said, well, if God made me and I have an appetite for something, it must be a God-given appetite and I should have a right to act on it. So I see an apple, I want to eat the apple, I eat the apple. Glory to God. I see a woman, I like the woman, I have the woman, appetite, fed, all's good. I see a man, I like the man. Yum, yum, yum. That was their theology. And Paul's just like the vein on his forehead, apparent. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. They're saying, everything's lawful for me. I'm a Christian. I can do what I want. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be a slave from anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. So this is this theology, like I was made to want this, so I should do it. And God will destroy both one and the other. So it's like, yeah, you can do it, but the, this, this train that is plummeting off the broken bridge is going to hit the ground eventually. And so you need to know what kind of state you want to be in when that happens. And God raised the Lord and also raised, will raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are his members of, members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and, make, and join them Sorry, to a prostitute? Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one flesh with her? And he goes on from there. But this, this was the issue. That is a way the kids will play. We've, we've, we found a guide and a counselor who tells us that this is okay. So we're going to roll with it. And dad just comes in and he's like, this is insane. Um, you may not know this. There was a time where Calvary Chapel was like 30 people big. Is that correct? Yeah. About Somewhere about 30. Yeah. And they were 30 people big a few months after being about 300 people big. Yeah. So Calvary was as big as it is now. And then in a few weeks or months, Dave, what would you say? Was it weeks or months before, to shrink? Well, it, it, it was gradual. It took about a year and a half. Okay. Okay. So from 300 down to 30 in about a year and a half. What was the issue? The primary issue was that even though the Sunday morning services were great and the music were great, there was major undealt with sexual immorality happening amongst the leadership and there was no father there to put his foot down and say this is not going to happen anymore. 
So there is this verse in Revelations where Jesus is talking to the church of Thyatira and he's confronting them about this woman Jezebel who is teaching the church to sin. And he says, if you guys don't deal with this, I will go to war against them with my mouth. He says, if you don't solve this issue, I am going to put on my sword and armor and it will not look good. And when I read that, I think about the history of Calvary Chapel. How do you go from 300 to 30 in a few months? Jesus goes to war against the sin in your church that you would not deal with. That's what it looks like. And Dave was brought to Calvary Chapel to witness that destruction and to be part of the rebuilding of it. To be a spiritual father of a church learning how to be sexually pure. And now we're part of this really great thing God is doing in Steinbeck and other places where we're helping people get free from computer stuff, from adulteries, from whatever it is. We're here to help you get free because we've been rescued and we have a firm foundation on what God's will is and what God's will isn't and we can help you instead of hurting you and congratulating ourselves along the way. But strangely enough, also, one of the things that happened in Corinth when spiritual fatherhood left was that some of the women got really weird about being women. And this came out with the whole issue in head coverings from chapter 11. And uh, I'll just read it this time, just in case you're not familiar with this. He says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head uncovered dishonors his head, and every, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dis, dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For... Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from the man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. And he goes on from there. But what appears to happen is that the women were taking off their head coverings in order to say something. Okay, and we're not totally clear what they were trying to say. It probably had something to do with being liberated in Jesus. And two things were happening through that liberation. Number one, something about the difference between men and women and how they relate to each other and relate to God was being uh, contradicted. And they were acting in a way that was publicly shameful. Now, there's lots of debate about this stuff, but one of the things that seems to fit really well with Scripture is the fact that historically, in the Greco-Roman culture, not every woman was allowed to wear head coverings. Okay, so we think, boy, that would be great to not wear head coverings. So you fly back in time in your time machine to Corinth in the first century, and you're all liberated because you're not wearing a head covering, except the fact that the women who were not allowed to wear head coverings were the slaves and prostitutes. That's what it said. Okay, we, we don't often want to admit it, but our clothing talks. We want to act like it doesn't, but it does. Here's a little um, test you can do. Okay, close your eyes. This, I'll do this with the ladies. You are doing a job interview for a vice president of a finance for a company, and you're one of the interviewers. 
and somebody walks into your office to be interviewed and they are dressed in a way that says, I am capable, I am smart, and I am professional, and I will do a good job, how are they dressed? Well, just, just keep the picture. You don't have to have to tell me. Okay. Later on that evening, you're driving in downtown Winnipeg and you're going past one of the nightclubs and you see a woman who's dressed like she would really like some attention and maybe a ride home from a man that night. How is she dressed? Now, this is my question. Are they dressed exactly the same? So in your head, clothing talks and you know how to hear it. We might differ on what some of the clothing says sometimes, but we all know that clothing talks. And so here these women are dressing their, th- this way, and they're trying to say something, and Paul is saying, you're not actually saying what you mean to say because you're dressing like um, the most mistreated women in our culture, not like the most honorable women in our culture. And so when he's partial, part of what he's doing when he's insisting on the head coverings, number one, he's saying, let's not get weird about the fact that there are men and there are women and they are different and they are called to relate differently in order to honor God. He's also trying to say, whatever you do, Christian woman, you are a being worthy of immense glory and honor and you should dress like it. So a way we might understand that is he, Paul would say, if say there was a, a young lady who comes to church and she's had just the worst past ever. She's had so many boyfriends, she can't even count them. And just the worst past ever. And now she's going to get married. She's met this guy and she's going to get married and she just feels all weird. Paul would say to her, look, you are going to wear the biggest, whitest dress ever. White gloves, white veil, white dress, white shoes, white stockings, white everything. White, 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 white because you're pure and you're holy and you're glorious, dress like it. And what I'm seeing is that these women were not getting all weird when Paul was there to be dad and to talk to them. And things got really weird. And now I can understand that. If you were going to a church where there was prostitution use happening and a guy was in trying to marry his mom, you might just be like, I don't want any of this. You know? I'm out of here. I get it. This is just, it's a mess. Now, this isn't the easiest stuff to talk about because um, these things about women and men relating and, and the subject of headship is very weaponized in our culture. It's weaponized. You know, it's like you're fired because you said that kind of stuff. Um, so I get that too. And I know I've, I probably haven't ever made any friends by, by my conviction that the scripture calls us to not make a woman an elder or to put her in a place where she is officially teaching over men in the church. Yes, over women. Yes, over children. Yes, in a general way where she's not in control of who's there, but just in, in a local church that God has not called her that, to that based on First Timothy 2. I know I haven't made any friends doing that. Okay. Um, But I will say this, number one, I have to believe that I am obeying the word of God when I get up here. Because as soon as I prostitute myself to make people happy instead of God happy based on his word, I am utterly useless and completely dangerous to you. Run me out of town. And this. I don't actually think that people who get mamsy-pamsy about what God says about the difference between men and women actually turn around and think honorably about women. Because I believe everything that God says about women, I think that woman is the most glorious thing in creation. Hands down, 
no contest, fight to the death. Woman is the glory of the glory of the glory of God. The most glorious thing in creation. Hands down, no contest. Just don't argue with me if I'm around a firearm. I could do something I regret. It's true. But being the glory of the glory of the glory of the glory doesn't necessarily make you the boss or the leader in every situation. It just means you're glorious beyond compare and description. So I don't fit in, and that's fine. I'm just going to keep rolling with Scripture and aiming at getting a big crown when I go to see God. And if you're wondering if this is true, I, I happen to live with uh, an adult woman, and uh, her name's Jackie, and she is literally sick of how much I appreciate her. Like, I'm, I'm an introvert, but around her, I cannot stop telling her how much I appreciate her. She's brilliant, thoughtful, wise, faithful, good, and helpful in so many ways. It's painful to try to keep up with everything I see. She is glorious. And one of the things I like about her is that she doesn't want to be me or to be the leader of our home. When I start to get a bit wobbly, she just goes, hey, do your job. Because I'm busy with what God's given me. I don't want to have to do your job and my job. You've got to do your job. I love that about her. And so in the weirdness of life, Jackie is probably my superior in most ways, intellectually, relationally, with regard to wisdom. She's happy that I do the finances, though I'm sure she would do a fine job there too. And I'm still the head of the home because of... And... Amen? So this is the issue. This is the charge. This is the main idea. When we're living under God's fatherhood, when we're living under spiritual fatherhood, the issue is just this. Men, be who God has called you to be, and don't get proud, and don't be ashamed. Period. And women, be who God has made you to be, according to his word, and don't be proud, and don't be ashamed. And whenever something comes along to try to stir up the gender wars or the battle of the sexes, don't hold back. You don't need to be nice. You don't. You don't. We're way too far down the, the slide into the gutter to think that um, compromises is a good idea and this kind of stuff. I've got a dad. He's my dad. I'm going to listen to him. It's crazy. It's just crazy. It's just so crazy. And I just, I think that the craziest thing, I'm just going to press this button a little bit longer. The craziest thing is that there's this tremendous lie that if a woman receives womanhood from Scripture and just says, you know what, God hasn't called me to, to be a father or a husband. This lie is that you'll, you're less valued, wrong, Okay, I, I value the women of Calvary Chapel. You guys are amazing. This church would have fallen apart without you a long time ago. I have been here during a women's retreat where all the women are gone. I don't, I don't like those Sundays. They're not, the children look messy. Um, the, the guys are mostly underslept. It's just, we only work with you here. And you are much quicker to respond and work harder and keep these relationships going I, I cannot say, I don't do it enough, but I cannot say enough great things about the women of Calvary Chapel. I am grateful and in awe and so thankful. Um, 
What was I saying? There's this lie that if you believe this stuff, that you will lose, that you'll be ripped off, that something, some plan that God has for you won't be able to happen. Like somehow, if we obey God, his plans won't happen. Hello? Does that make sense? God, if I believe you, all the good stuff you want to do with my life is ruined. <laughs> That's why you need letters like 1 Corinthians just to be like... And, and we, we're at a really interesting time in history where a Christian woman can have so much influence in the world. Um, like, I've got a friend here, her sister just spent the day with the prime minister because she had this thing where she was like, women should be in politics. And, and he said, okay, why don't you spend the day with me? And, and if I had started a website called like skinny Scottish guys from Steinbeck should be in politics, do you think I would spend a day with the prime minister? No, they, they want to listen to you. Do, do you. They want to hear you. And, but if you're just doing all your talking in church, they'll never listen to you because the world does really not care what we do on a Sunday morning just doesn't. God cares, so we should obey him and please him while we're here. Amen? But, so, two more examples of this. One of the great living missionaries of our day, so still alive, it's Jackie Pullinger. I think she's in China's Forbidden City or Walled City. I can't remember exactly what the name is. Got on a boat one day and got off when she thought God told her to and ended up alone in this city in China, which is really just a gang-ridden drug district. And God just really used her. People are getting saved. People are getting set free. Um, One of the gang leaders who either became a Christian or just became friends with her said to her, when you showed up here, we thought, it's just a woman. What can she do? She said, if you'd been a man, we would have either killed you or just gotten rid of you. But because you're a woman, well, that was the last, it was the end of an era for them. And I just think, you know, if you trust God and believe in him, isn't that all that matters? Can't he do anything? But we get, because we're celebrity people, we're like, it's all about position, it's all about money, it's all about title, position, money, title, position, money, title, position, money, title, position, money, title. If I don't have the position, I'm not useful. If I don't have the money, I'm not powerful. If I don't have the title, I'm not loved and appreciated. The issue is we don't have a dad telling us the truth. I love you. I appreciate you. Stop messing around. Follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Is the soup still warming up? The last thing, and I'll make this quick, that got weird in Corinth and can kind of get weird for us when there isn't spiritual fatherhood, is food. It might be a surprising topic, but it's true. Food gets weird when you don't have fathers, spiritual fatherhood. Does anybody think that we're weird about food in our culture? We just hardly know what to do with it sometimes. Eat it, don't eat it, love it, hate it, count it, don't count it. Um, In the Lord's Prayer, which we've been studying, the last Sunday's message was about God being our Father by us praying, give us today our daily bread. Amen? When we 
learn this, what we're learning is fatherhood and food are connected. And strangely, your relationship with your dad really impacts what you think about food. And I'm, I'm not sure if this is true often or not, but it's kind of like sometimes when you feel like you, you can't find security in your dad, you can find security in your food, whether you're eating it, controlling it, or not eating it. When you can't find safety with your dad or stability with your dad, you can find stability in your food, whether you eat it, don't eat it, count it, don't count it. What God says is, my fatherhood and my feeding you are connected and Spiritual fatherhood and spiritual food is connected. And having a peaceful attitude about food really is connected with your relationships with people. You say, Rob, prove it. Okay, well, one of the big issues that Paul had to deal with in this letter covers three whole chapters. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 was the fact that a bunch of these Corinthians were going to eat food that was sacrificed as a part of idol worship. And they thought... Hey, I know the truth. I know God. This is God's food. It's okay if I go to these sacrifices and eat the food because I'm honging. I'm honging. And there's meat there. I want my meat. So I'm just going to show up. It's mostly free. Some shenanigans happen. I try to turn away. I try to put the scroll down on that Netflix page until it goes away, and then I just go on with my stuff. And Paul says to them, look, the way you're eating food is saying you don't have God as your dad, even if you do. That's his main message. Later on, we find out that also there are times of communion. These feasts that they would have around communion are also really messed up since he left. Some people show up early, they eat all the food, and they drink a bunch of wine, and so the people who show up later or come in, and there's nothing to eat, and there's just a bunch of drunk people lying around. Ah! And that's happening because dad is gone. They've forgotten that food is about God and they've forgotten that food is about relationship and it's become all about me. So we're having a soup and bun tonight, or today, in a few minutes. Do you know why we're having it? It's a celebration, but that's true. That's one of the whys. The real reason we're, we're having it is because of Dave. Because... I didn't actually want to have a soup and bun today. Don't, don't hate me. Don't hate me. But after a couple services of preaching, the last thing I want to do is kind of like facilitate and host. I'm just, I, just, I want some Matterslope ministry and... Well, yeah, exactly. You know, and that's just selfish, right? I'm doing the, the bad thing here. And Dave's just like, hey, wait, we're saying goodbye to Simeon and we're leaving. We need to eat together. God's doing something. We need to eat food together. God's doing something, we need to eat food together. That's the Father's heart. God's doing something, we need table fellowship. The kids need to spend time together. So I see that. I see that. So, why do I keep talking about this stuff? Is anybody getting sick of me talking about fatherhood? It seems like every message is coming back to this. This is why I keep coming back to this. It's not to say that fathers are more important or better than anybody, or that men are more important than women. This is the issue. If we opened up these curtains and there were seven pots full of hot, hot, hot liquid, but it was just water, would we say, this is a great soup and bun? We'd just be like, there's something missing here. And it's not a soup and bun because this is missing. In our culture, a love of fatherhood and the behavior of spiritual father and the activity of fatherhood is missing. 
We're starving. We're starving to death. Statistically, there's about 30 million men on pornography websites every week in North America. That's a sign of not having death. I I meet with guys who are getting clean. I help them get free, every single one of them. My dad, my dad, my dad wasn't there, didn't talk, didn't care, was angry. My dad, my dad, my dad didn't talk, didn't care, was angry every time. You want to change the world? We, we have to give the world spiritual fatherhood. The Father God reflected through living people. I was talking with a guy who works in prisons the other day, like Stony Mountain. Says, I'm really big into youth mentoring so that they don't end up where I work. That's the big issue. Mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. They need a dad. A dad would have kept them from coming to where I will see them for the next two to five years. That's a big deal. That's why I talk about this stuff. That's why I point to you you towards the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father. That's why I'm grateful for the ministry of Dave and Lynn and all that they've suffered to parent us. That's why I do what I do. God, I'm so grateful for you and that you really love us. You really have chosen us in Christ. You really do save us. You really are our Father. And God, I just can see in your word that you've shown us that when fatherhood is active, churches thrive and do well. Marriages are doing better. Sons do better, daughters do better, children do better. And when real spiritual fatherhood disappears, it's just a mess. Father, you know we're in this mess. You know we're in this mess. You know we're in this mess. God, would you forgive us our sins? God, in a million ways we have invited you to just disappear and not exist, and this is a grave sin. Would you forgive us? And God, in your mercy, would you provide through your church what's lacking for the salvation of Canada and North America and for our usefulness in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.